So for today, we're going to do something a little bit different. So rather than actually looking at a specific or a particular passage of Scripture, we're actually going to look at various portions throughout the message. And what's really going to be more of a topical message. And the idea is that we're trying to help us develop Christian character. Now obviously we know that the goal and the desire of every Christian is to become more Christ-like, which brings God glory, and it also helps us to be the light and salt to the world that so desperately needs it. We understand that we're called to be light and salt in this world. And developing Christian character and all of the things that come with that is important for us to do. We understand that God has indeed given us different means of grace in order for us to accomplish this. And many of the things are somewhat familiar to us, in fact quite familiar to us. And we've spent a great amount of time over the years in this church covering those things. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things such as Bible reading and study. Meditating upon the Word of God, not just simply opening up your scriptures and reading a passage and moving on, but actually taking the time to dig into it and find out what the Word of God has to say. And developing a systematic plan, perhaps, or whatever it might be, but Bible reading and study is essential to our growth. Certainly prayer is something that God has given us, and we know that we've talked about that countless times here, the importance of prayer, both as individuals and as a corporate body that we can come together and we communicate to the Lord. As he communicates to us through his word, we communicate to him through prayer. We understand and praise God for this, and that we're starting to get back to more of this, is the idea of fellowship. is the fellowship that we enjoy with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Knowing that when we come together, that we share the greatest thing in common, even if we have different backgrounds and come from different areas and whatever. We understand that when we know Jesus Christ, that we have that in common. Clearly what we do every Sunday when we gather together, corporate worship is another means of grace that God gives. As we come and each we come together and we're able to worship and we're able to sit under the word and the teaching of God's word. And then serving others. The things that we do when we leave here. That we don't understand that being a Christian is not just something that we do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. It's something that we're supposed to be 24-7, 365 days a week. As we leave here, we are all, in a sense, ministers. And we are all to go out to serve not only people within the household of faith, but certainly we serve others. We evangelize. We do a whole host of different things. And as I look around this room and I see everyone that's here, I know that that is indeed going on. And I praise God for that. Now all of these are essential for our growth. And in practice, they are quite simple. There's nothing fancy here. None of the things that I made mention to you are, and there's nothing fancy about any one of them. Yet we all know from experience that we can be very easily distracted with other things in our busy lives. And at other times, quite frankly, what ends up happening is that we just get lazy. We get lazy. Lots of times we don't read God's word the way that we're supposed to because we get lazy. We don't understand the Bible because we don't take the time to want to understand the Bible. And I think that's something that we got to work on. So today I want to talk about three character qualities that I think we should all model in our lives. And to help with these, we're going to use a simple acrostic to aid in our remembrance of it. Now, we live in a day and age where acrostics or acronyms or abbreviations are widely used. I know from my own personal experience, I was in the police department, obviously, as most of you know. I was in the military before that, and we just lived on acronyms and acrostics and whatnot. There was always an abbreviation. There was always something. Sometimes it got to the point there was so many, I I couldn't even remember what anything was. 
Now we live in a tech world where we have all the abbreviations with a tech language, uh, with you know text language and whatnot. And sometimes you know it started with an LOL, and now we have so many different things. And sometimes I have to look up. I don't know what that means. And people do have abbreviations in order for us to you know thinking that it's just either simpler to write or it just help us to remember. We know though in the Christian world one of the most popular acrostics though that's been so helpful to Christians throughout the years is the one Acts. And we've made mention of that here several times, and perhaps many of you use it in your own prayer life. I like to use it in, in uh, many instances. It's a great reminder for us, each letter representing a key element of prayer. A would be adoration, where we come to the Lord and praise. We come to Him to give Him praise, right? We begin there with who God is, and we want to just glorify His name. C being confession, that we come to the Lord and confessing our sins, knowing that even though we've been forgiven of our sins in the ultimate sense, that we still do sin each and every day. And that we want to keep short accounts with God. T stands for thanksgiving. Clearly there is so much for us as believers to be thankful for. And we want to come to the Lord and give him thanks for that. And S being supplication. We bring to the Lord all of our different requests. The things that we are asking for of him. So again, this is Acts. is something that's pretty familiar to people. But today's acrostic is going to be a bit different. And I'm going to say in full confession, this is not my idea. It's been used before. I spoke upon it on a Sunday school a few years back. In fact, as I was preparing for this morning's message and I was coming, I happened to find out that it was actually used and spoken of Billy Graham by his son at his funeral when it was made mention of. So what is the acrostic? What are we seeking to be by God's grace? My desire today for everyone that hears this message is that we all be, you ready for it? Fat. F-A-T. Now, clearly, I would hope that you know that I'm not talking about our physical appearances. I want us to be fat in a whole other type of way. So what are we talking about? Well, the first letter, clearly, in that is F. And that stands for faithful. A Christian must be faithful. It is essential to being a believer. It is not an option. In fact, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. And it is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be faithful? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, being faithful is someone who is worthy of faith or keeps promises, has a firm adherence to whatever one owes allegiance. It implies unswervering adherence to a person or thing by which they were contracted. And that's a Webster's Dictionary version of it. But there is a lot of truth that's found in here. I think we would say to be faithful is to be loyal, constant, steadfast, trustworthy. Simply put, someone that can be relied upon. It's someone who's going to do what they say they're going to do, and someone who's going to be where they say they're going to be. And how many people do you really know of in your life that are just like that? Are we? Now, it's important, I think, to, for us to distinguish, though, between faith and being faithful. Faith itself, particularly as from the standpoint of a Christian, is a gift of God, according to Ephesians 2.8, that is given to us. While being faithful is an outpouring of living out our lives in exercise of that faith. So faith precedes being faithful. So in order for us to be faithful from a Christian perspective, we first must possess faith. And for us specifically, that means possessing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So faith comes first. Being faithful is an outworking of that. Faith leads to faithfulness. In the Greek, the word for that is pistos. And it has two meanings in the New Testament. One is an active meaning, which actually means believing or trusting. But that's the less frequent use of this word in the New Testament. The more frequent use is actually a passive uh, a passive form which is used of God, used of his word, or used of his people. And again, of being faithful. It's important for us to know that we are called to be faithful because God himself is faithful. Deuteronomy 7.9 Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his faithfulness to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see that the idea of God being faithful is not just something that's relegated to the New Testament or the Old Testament. God is faithful, as we said, because he does not change. God is faithful throughout the scriptures. God is faithful to this day. There are approximately 277 covenants in the entire Bible. And in each and every one of them, God keeps his promises. He is utterly faithful to his word, his promises, his laws, and he's looking for that in us. I love the commentator Warren Worsby in his, actually in his commentary on the pastoral epistles entitled Be Faithful, ironically. He imagines a scenario where the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he advertises for workers. Whether he puts an ad in the paper or whatever it might be, puts out an ad there with an announcement. And again, this is, this is all Warren Worsby just kind of surmising this and, and, and saying uh, uh, what Jesus would perhaps write. Again, this is his own speculation. This is not scripture. But he says here, and I think this is great. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working for you or with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come until after your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. He took this, this uh, little illustration, and it was actually based off of an illustration from a man by the name of uh, Ernest Shackelford, who was traveling to, I believe, the South or the North Pole at one point, and he had put an ad into the paper similar to that. And this man, Shackelford, had gotten actually thousands of people who had kind of applied to it based upon this idea that they might not return home. So now think about it. People were willing to do this for somebody just for, the, for glory and whatnot and for honor and not understanding whether they were going to make it to, to live or not. But when Christ, in a sense, presents this offer to us as believers, we think about it, this is so, so much of a greater call. In many ways, it really is the opportunity of a lifetime to be part of something far greater than us, something of eternal significance. And look who's the one who's giving the call in this sense. It's Jesus Christ himself. God is looking for people whose ambition is to glorify him. To be kingdom advancers, handling the gospel message with great care. We certainly saw that through our study in the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And we saw it time and time again where Paul was entrusting all of the, the gospel and all the truth that's inseparable to it to Timothy 
right? And that's passed on to generation to generation. That's the, op that's the responsibility of all those who stand in the pulpit, right? Throughout the history of the church, the message that we proclaim is a message that goes on almost like running a relay race where you take the baton and now you, you're the next leg and you hand it off to the next person. And they run to hand it off to the next person. And that's what we're to do. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for faithful people who are going to do that. He's looking for people who are going to strengthen and encourage others. And God's not looking for perfect people. None of us are. We know that. We understand that. But he is looking for people who are devoted to him. Those who are going to point people to God and not to themselves. We see this, the, perfect, the lack of perfect people in all of the people that God calls throughout the Bible. Look at the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that he called. Not really a, a hearty bunch there in many ways. Fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. Not many men who are prominent in the world. Yet he called them. And look what they were able to do by being faithful. They turned the world upside down. In the Old Testament, we see King David. He started as a shepherd. Lowly shepherd in the field. A man who probably would have been overlooked by many. But yet God called him and God was able to use him. So God is looking again for those who are going to point people to him and not to themselves. Proverbs 26 in the New King James says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? How true is that? Everyone, most people that you encounter will always be willing to tell you how great they are. <laughs> well, I do this, or I do that, or I do this. I remember somebody that I worked with years ago, and he would always begin every sentence by everything that he did, everything that he had done. And when I would talk to him about the scriptures and talk to him about his need for Jesus and his need for a Savior, he just didn't see it. He didn't see it. He thought that he had it all figured out. But that's not what the Lord is looking for. Now, being faithful doesn't necessarily mean being outwardly successful, but rather it means to walk consistently with God in humility. Think of all the pastors in small churches that no one ever hears of. In many instances, look at a church like us. Small, tiny church on the southernmost part of Staten Island. Right? On our best day with everyone here between two services, we're maybe 80 to 100 people. And yet we have a man like Pastor George who has been faithfully preaching here for years. And we're not the only one. There's countless churches out there throughout the history that men, men that have stood faithfully in a pulpit for years, just week in and week out, ministering to the people, going to those late-night hospital calls and staying long hours on the phone counseling people or doing a whole host of different things. And the world may never know who they are, and yet they stay faithful to their task. Think of all the missionaries who have gone out, all the missionaries that have gone out that we don't know of. Thousands and thousands of missionaries throughout the years, and perhaps some that have gone and spent many years in a place, and they've toiled for years, and they don't see one convert. And then perhaps sometimes the next generation is the one that actually ends up experiencing the fruit, based upon the work that was done by the previous generations. I know there's countless stories of that. I think of our own within this church, the Jabello family that we've been supporting, particularly Ray and Cheryl. They've been in Papua New Guinea for, since the mid-90s. So we're talking about almost 30 years that they've been there. 30 years faithfully there ministering. And we, you know the story we've shared with you many times, how they've been able to translate the Bible into their own language that had never been a written language before. I mean, think about the faithfulness that it takes in order for that to happen. And yet they've seen minimal like, conversions. Just only in recent years have they actually experienced people who have come to know Christ. But yet, year and year and faithful, day in and day out of the ministry and toiling that they're doing. We praise God for people like that. But God knows who they are. 
Think of all the people perhaps in churches. Sometimes there's churches, there are people who are prayer warriors. Prayer warriors, that they'll never stand up in a pulpit, they'll never leave leave a Sunday school, perhaps teach a Bible study, but they are the faithful prayer warriors that are on their knees praying for every concern that the church has. People who are faithful to do that. Again, not everyone is going to have the same opportunities or abilities, but we all have something to offer. The idea is just be faithful in what it is that you do. There's a story of a young preacher that approached uh, F.B. Meyer. He was a uh, late 19th, early 20th century preacher, and he asked how could he one day become as influential and as well-known as him. And Meyer responded to him, don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. I think this falls in line with what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, when he says, The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. The attention to detail. Right? Many people are willing to do big things for God, but not many people are doing, willing to do the little things. Right? The old joke where people want to do so many different things, but they don't want to stack chairs at church. They don't want to do the little things. But everything that's done in the name of God, even right, giving a cup of cold water to somebody, done in faith, has tremendous implications. And usually what ends up happening, specifically, especially for younger people, is that if you're faithful in the tasks that are given you when you're young, that you'll be found to be trustworthy in order to be given greater tasks as you get older. And that's important for us to know. But remember that being faithful, it's not flashy. It's not an emotion. It's actually a willful decision. And it isn't always convenient. Doing what you say you're going to do is not always convenient. We all know that from experience. We know that there's so many different obstacles and things that can come in the way. Quite frankly, sometimes the biggest obstacle is ourselves. We get in the way. But what it is, is it's a daily process. Because it's part of sanctification. We grow each and every day, some more during the course of our lives. There's going to be moments where we're growing at greater levels, and then there's going to be moments where we're not. But the idea is that we're still taking one step in front of the other, no matter how long that stride might be. But that's what it is. It's a daily process. But before we move on to the next letter, letter A, I want to conclude with two quick points, though, in regards to this. One, I think the key to being faithful and to maintaining our faithfulness is to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ. Psalm 103.2 Bless the Lord my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits. You think of many of the problems that we have are really first world problems. Yes, we have a lot of issues that are going on. Certainly what's going on with Pastor George and those who dealt with COVID in this church. And obviously we have a situation with, with Elder Arnold and, and many other things that are of a very much serious note. We understand that. We're not immune to the, the diseases. We're not immune to the things of this world. But think about so often of the things that we complain about each and every day. The things that really just kind of take our time and you say, really? Is this what I'm really going to complain about? You know, I, sometimes I, I laugh, though, know, you're like, oh, I got the lunch at school and it was soggy. Well, I mean, you actually got a lunch at school that's like from a catering hall. And we're, here we are, we're complaining about that when there's people who are not able to eat. They don't know where the next meal is coming from. But we're all guilty of that. Some of the things that we complain about and when you think about it, and yet we don't realize how much we have to be thankful for. We'd always be thankful. 
Right? If we just sat down and we just took a pen and a piece of paper, wrote down everything that we'd be thankful for, even if the things we know, we'd run out of ink real quick. We'd run out of paper. And that's just what we know. How much do we not know? So it's so important for us to be thankful. Right? And a complaining spirit takes our eyes off the blessings of God and it hinders our faithfulness. The second thing is, is that being faithful, it's important to know that the Bible's not against incentive. The Bible does give us a lot of incentive to do the things that we do. There is reward for the faithful Christian. Right? We understand we're not saved by our works, but yet there is a reward for our works. There's not a Christian that has ever walked the face of the earth that doesn't desire to hear those wonderful words of Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Is there anyone in this room that doesn't want to hear those words? I don't think so. We all do. So we understand that there is incentive to the things that we do. So that's our first letter, F. Our second letter of our acrostic is the letter A, and that stands for available. Being available. A Christian should be someone that makes themselves available. And what do we mean by this? It's being there for one another. It's being ready for use in terms of our time and our effort. It implies the fact that we have to have involvement in the lives of other people. There's the old cliche that runs true. The best ability is availability. There's a story of a man who's looking for work and he goes to a job site and he speaks to the foreman at the job site and he says to the man, he's like, I'm looking for work. And the guy says, well, are you a carpenter? Do you have any carpentry skills? He says, no. He says, do you have any type of electrical skills? He says, no. He goes, are you a plumber? He says, no. He goes, well, what is it that you offer for me? He goes, I actually live around the corner. He was available and he was willing to work. But it's important to understand that being available doesn't mean we just sit back in a passive manner as if to say, I'll serve when I'm ready and I'm willing to serve. Right? People make a whole host of promises that they never follow through on. Hey, if you need me, I'll be there. Right? We hear that all the time. Oh, just call me. Just, yeah, don't worry. Uh, you know, Americans are famous for that. We're famous for that. that we, just, we make all these false promises that just sound good in the moment, but we never really anticipate doing anything. Oh, if you, if you need anything, please just call. Just let us know. You know, and I think sometimes we've got to be guarded against the promises that we make. Many of us make a lot of empty promises. Only make promises that you're willing to keep, or that you're able to keep, I should say. You know, as Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be guarded against the oaths and the vows that you take. Because many of us just, we feel as though we just, we just need to say it. It's just something that, that's said. And, and it's almost in our culture understood, like, oh, I know you don't really mean that, but thank you for saying it and whatnot. No, we need to get out of that business. We can't let the culture define who we are. We have to be people who, if we're going to say we're going to be there and available somewhere, we're going to make ourselves available. Or we have to let them know that we can't be to whatever it is that we're going to do. Again, some, being available means that sometimes we have to adjust our own schedules, adjust our agendas and plans to meet the needs of others. We need to be aware and ready to be part of the fact that we're part of God's mission on earth. God's plans come first. Our personal priorities are second. Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God. And we're to give God our first fruits, not our leftovers. We talked a couple weeks ago, we talked about Cain and Abel when they brought before their offerings. And we said of all the things that could have been involved in that, the one thing that we knew for sure was that Abel brought from, from his flock the first fruits where, where Cain did not. 
We're to give God our best, not our leftovers. Sometimes I could, you know, I know if, if, uh, in my own life, you know, again, there's no set time that you have to read God's word, but it's how often sometimes you put off reading God's word to the end of the day, you know, and you got so many other things going on, and all of a sudden at the end of the day you're exhausted. And you start reading, and then boom, you fall asleep and whatnot. You give God, you know, whatever it is that you have left. You don't give God your best. God doesn't save us, or he didn't save us to be a trophy on his shelf of victories. He's the one that won the victory. We are to be used by him. And it is a privilege to be used of God. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And God will and can use anybody. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 29. And again, a lot of these things we're talking about, they all kind of intersect. Faithful, available, they're all kind of like tied together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 and 29, to 29, a passage we're all familiar with. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. We understand that God doesn't call always, or usually ever, the rich, the powerful, the influential of this world. He's pleased to call just everybody, just nobodies, a bunch of nobodies, and yet he can take nobodies and make them into somebodies who are preaching his word. Scripture has great examples of people called by God and that are actively available for his service. Abraham in Genesis 12, being he was called of God, he leaves behind his home and family in obedience to God. He was available to God. Think of somebody a little bit more obscure, but yet she's immortalized in Scripture in Luke chapter 2. Anna the prophetess. She was faithful and available. She served night and day in the temple, fasting and praying. 84 years of age. She had been a widow. She had only been married for seven years, and she had been a widow all of those years, and she was faithful and available there, perhaps in the temple to do perhaps whatever was needed of her. And there she was. And obviously there's the famous example of Isaiah's commission in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Where it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So what are some of the ways in which we can make ourselves available? One is that we can say no to everything that prevents you from saying yes to him. There's a lot of things that we probably could take out of our busy schedules. Two... We can free up our schedules and see what it is that specifically, again, are activities that get in the way. Three, and this is a big one, we need to be prepared to step out of our comfort zone. Many of us like to play it safe. It's tough to be involved in people's lives. You might get hurt. Chances are you probably will. If you're in relationships with other people, you're going to get hurt at some point or another. But yet, we don't understand the impact that you can have in someone's life, and we don't understand that God made us for relationships. He made us as social beings. And people who sometimes will avoid being in contact with others, you're missing out on the great rewards of what relationships evolve. And that doesn't necessarily just mean a husband-wife relationship. That's any type of relationship that exists within the church. 
when we come together in a relationship and the things that we can do for one another and how we can grow and how we can learn and how we can serve and it's just an outworking of again the one another's of scripture and it's so important for us to do some people are so afraid of getting hurt that they just they'll shut themselves off from the outside world and God does not have us to do that and I think it's also important to remember that God is always available to us for the believer he is the God who neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is the God that when you wake up at 2.30 in the morning and you can't sleep and you want to pray to Him, He's there listening. You're never bothering Him. He's always available to us. So let us be faithful. Let us be available. And our last letter is T. And that stands for teachable. All Christians should be teachable. So that tremendous quality, and it speaks to humility. Again, this is even in the non-Christian world. People who are teachable are usually the ones that are going to succeed. As disciples of Christ, we are to be lifelong learners. We're to follow, learn, study, but not just to acquire information. We're to listen and to heed advice and instruction and then make the necessary applications to our life as necessary. Being teachable is a sign of wisdom. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 15.31-32 He who listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. And finally, Proverbs 9.9. 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. As I said, being open to instruction leads to making the necessary changes in our lives. That old saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. How often do we see that happening? We need, if necessary, we need to make the changes. Especially as a Christian. And I think that's where do we find our instruction. We find our instruction from the Word of God. I love when I hear certain things of men, of theologians who have been walking with the Lord for many a year. And sometimes they'll find that they, parts or aspects of their theology will change because they've been convicted by the Word of God that they were actually wrong in what happened. I know many people that are in this church perhaps came from a different background. And yet, as they were instructed by the Word of God, they came to change the things that they held on to, perhaps for many years. And that's important. Being teachable is an aspect where we have to avoid being defensive. It's very easy to get defensive. But we don't want to be a know-it-all, right? A person that has it all figured out. Because really, at the end of the day, we don't. The only one who does is God. I love, in the scriptures, one of the great examples, and I made mention of him not too long ago in a message, but I, I find myself always coming back to him in so many ways, especially when it comes to humility and teachability, is Apollos. And we read about his account in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28, where it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, 
being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I think one of the only men in scripture that it was spoken of that he was eloquent. That he really actually was a great speaker. When he spoke, people paid attention. And here he was speaking the truth, but yet he didn't have the full counsel of God. He didn't know everything. He didn't have the full story. Perhaps he knew about Jesus' death, but he didn't know about the burial and the resurrection of Christ. He didn't know about any of those things. And yet here Priscilla and Aquila come along, and they see and they recognize that he's called of God, and God is using him, but they come and they instruct him. And he doesn't tell them, no, 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 I got this figured out. Okay, look, at the, look at these crowds that I'm gathering. Look at these people that I'm influencing. No, he was teachable enough, he was humble enough to allow himself to learn the things that he didn't know in order that he could proclaim the message even in a better way. And yet God ends up using him tremendously as we see throughout the scriptures in other instances. So much so that it's said in 1 Corinthians and Paul saying that when people were having factions, he's saying some says I'm of Paul, some says I'm of Apollos. So clearly the guy had tremendous influence. And yet here he was though, he was humble and he was teachable, he had a teachable spirit in order for him to learn the things that he didn't know. Christian theologian uh, David Murray, he's a professor at uh, Puritan Theological Seminary. He talks about teachability in his book, The Christian Life. And he provides a list of characteristics of the unteachable and teachable people. Listen to this list and see if any of these are true of you. It's kind of like a diagnostic test. First, I'll give you the unteachable list. And this is a scary test to take. First, from the unteachable list. Are you a person who doesn't seek to learn anything, anything other than the bare minimum? Are you someone who, do, who, asks, who doesn't ask questions or attempts to do anything that might reveal your ignorance or risk of you looking stupid? Are you someone who doesn't accept responsibility for failure and you instead you blame others? Are you someone who doesn't accept personal one-on-one -on -one guidance, counsel, or mentoring? Are you someone who doesn't take criticism or takes all criticism with resentment? Are you someone who doesn't listen but only likes to talk, talk, talk about yourself? Are you someone who doesn't read, listen, or learn anything that challenges your existing presuppositions, practices, or prejudices? Feel convicted yet? A lot of things in there of qualities of people who are unteachable. But then he goes on, and he gives qualities of people who are, are teachable. And one is being aware of the limitations of your own knowledge and abilities. And then being willing to admit to others who can help or teach you. Regularly ask for help, instruction, guidance, or advice. Learn from anyone and everyone that you can. And might I add, this is true for the young and the old. Older people can learn from the young, and younger people certainly can learn from the older people. Listen to others carefully and patiently. Don't give up when you fail. Seek help. Keep trying until you get it right. 
And then lastly, be willing to change your views, practices, and behavior when convincing evidence is presented to you, even if you have to admit you're wrong. You remember from happy days where Fonzie could never say the word? He said, be willing to admit that you're wrong. Again, teachability is humility. So in conclusion, I believe that the characteristics that I mentioned today can certainly aid in our spiritual growth, especially certainly the first one being faithful because that is an actual fruit of the Spirit. But we must be careful not to look upon our activities as works that somehow earn our way into heaven. Nothing can be further from the truth. There are many people who exhibit these qualities in life and they're solid, productive citizens and are even possibly quite successful by the world's standards. But those who have these qualities without Christ are lost. We must ensure that before we attempt to build any structures in our lives that we, that we first have the solid and true foundation by believing the gospel. A person must first be made right with God. And we know that that happens when we repent of our sins and place our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that brings a right standing with God. There's nothing else that can do that and no one else that can do that. You see, people in their fallen nature like to set up their own standards as a way of how we're going to get into heaven. You hear people say all the time, I live by my own rules, I have my own ethics. And yet, the funny thing is that really one of two things happens. Well, actually three things, perhaps. Is that First is that the ethics that they're setting is not God's standard. It's their own standard. And then they lie and they act as though they're, they're even living up to their own standard. Because no one even is able to live up to their own standard of the things that they hold to. And then they lie and they act as though that they do. Or if they don't lie and they're going to be honest with them, what they do is then they end up lowering their standard in order to meet their performance. So they perform, their level of performance has to come up to the standard. So their level of performance is not so good, so the standard has to be lower. And that standard consistently will get lower and lower and lower. We see that in our society right now. The standard that used to, was true maybe 30, 40 years ago to now is, is, is not even there. And that's what ends up happening. And that's how we are as people. And then what we do is we compare ourselves to others in order to justify ourselves. So if that's not working, so we all have all of these different ways that we figure out how we can kind of sneak our way into heaven. Because I'm not as bad as that next guy over there. Even though my standard is really, I'm not living up to my own standard. I know Well, I've lowered my standard, but guess what? At the end of the day, I'm not Hitler. Or I'm not fill in the blank. And that's what ends up happening. And that's how the world operates. But we know and we understand that God's standard is perfection. And the only one that met that was Jesus Christ himself. God doesn't lower the standard for anybody. That is the standard. And because God's standard is perfection and because of the fact that we can't meet that standard, that's why we so desperately need someone to do it for us, and that is Jesus. So for us, let us ensure that we all come to God in true faith, believing in the one who has done it all, who paid for our sins, the one who makes us right with him, and then, by extension then allow us to be the people who are going to live in this way so that we would be faithful, available, and teachable. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you and praise you for this opportunity, Lord, that we had this morning, Lord, to think upon and look upon these things. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for the things that you have done for us in our lives, Lord. First and foremost, Lord, as we think upon and reflect upon the wonderful and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, of your Son, who went to a cross and died and was buried and rose on the third day, and that, Lord, in doing so, Lord, he was able to reconcile us to you. We thank you so much, Lord, that we've been justified because of that, and we thank you, Lord, now that in our process of sanctification, Lord, there are many things that we can do, Lord, that we can be actively engaged in by the power of your Spirit working in us to be, Lord, more like you, to be, Lord, as you would have us to be. And I ask, O oh God, that you would just help each and every one, Lord, that is in this room and all those that perhaps are listening to this message, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would be available, and that we would be teachable. And that we pray that through it all, Lord, that we would give you the glory you so richly deserve. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.